0: Thanks for joining us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Take a second and send your story to amen at citychurchfl.org. And if you'd like to partner with this ministry financially, you can do that by going to citychurchfl.org slash give and select the giving option that works best for you. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. I want you to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. John chapter 13, verse 34. We're gonna read two passages of scripture. I'm gonna talk to you this morning about loving well. Loving well. John chapter 13, verse 34, and Philippians chapter one, verse nine. But we're gonna first read John chapter 13, verse 34. And the Bible says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. Everyone just say that with me. Love one another. As I have loved you, this is Jesus, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then Philippians chapter 1, verse number 9, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. Remember, Paul has been falsely accused, has been beat up. He's thrown into a prison for one thing, for loving people with the gospel. One thing he's been thrown in prison for. And he writes these words to the church. This is my prayer, that your love will flourish, and that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. I want to talk to you this morning on how to become a devoted follower of Jesus. Love well. Everyone say, love well. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, every person in this room, God, we can get better. We can do better. We can do better at loving. We can do better at serving. We can do better at giving. We can be better. We can be better husbands, wives, spouses, children. We can be better, better workers, co-workers. We can be better. But Lord, we need you today. We can't do this without an experience, without an encounter, or the reality of you, the God of love. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. I pray that you'll give them a spiritual ear to hear. And God, give me a mouth to speak. I need you today. God, I need you. I need your love. I pray for a great demonstration and the work of your spirit, at the hearing of your word. I ask you, Lord, that we'll leave this place, not the same that we came, but we'll be changed by your amazing love. and your wonderful name, and everyone said amen. You may be seated. In the Greek, there are four words that are used for love. Uh, There are two words that are primarily used in the Bible. One is phileo. Everyone say phileo. Phileo is a brotherly love. It's, a, it's an acquaintance love. It's a friendship love. Somebody you care about, you're concerned about. It's a, like that kind of love that you have for a friend, a person who's close to you, you're concerned about, and care, their, about their worries or their cares, and you'll pray with them. It's a, it's a brotherly love. But then the Bible uses this other word, agape. Everyone say agape. Agape is the love of God. It's God's love. It's what's transmuted to us when we become followers of Jesus. God's love is put into our hearts. It's not something we manufacture, it's not something we make. It comes from the God who is love. The Bible says this about God. You can say whatever you want about God, but the Bible declares that He is God, a God who is love. God is love. Very clear. Very clear, from the beginning of time, God is a God of love. Now, there's another word that's commonly used for love. It's the word eros or eros. It's the word that we get lust from. It's, the connotation of it is something that you desire strongly. It's a, it's a love that's built around this concept of what I can get, what I can take, what, what, what I feel, my emotions, how you make me feel. Eros, love is the word that we would use for lust, when we lust after something. We desire something strongly, but it's all about me. That kind of love is all about me. And there's a, this kind of love is widely disseminated, widely espoused, widely promulgated, widely championed in our culture. It's championing relationships, it's championing the movies, how you make me feel, how, how that, what that person, whether I love them or not is based on what they do for me. And that's not the love that God's talking about here. see, God's love gives, the world's love takes. That's the big difference here. God's love gives, the world love, world's love takes. Now, there are four of you today. He said, no, there's only one of me. No, no, no. There are four of you today. There are four of me today. There's the public Eugene Smith. This is the, the person that you see up here if you attend church here on a weekly basis. You, you, you know me as the pastor of this local church. And, and so much of what people perceive about me, whether they attend this church or not attend this church, is based on how they value the way I communicate as a pastor or as a leader in this community. So that person. That, that persona of me that public side of me is very real i i recognize that i i know that people are watching me people are looking at me and and the fact is there's a public you there's a the you that goes to work every day there's the work there's the you that you know that that your friends know your neighbors know it's the public you but then there's this other thing called the mask you (laughs) it's what we wear in the public. It's what we put on. It's, it's how people perceive us. It's, you know, you, you just had a terrible day. Your dog messed all over the floor. Your kids were, be, uh, you know, fighting and bickering at the breakfast table. You got a ticket on the way into work, and you show up. You sit down at your desk, and your co-worker says, how you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. <laughs> doing fine. <laughs> you liar. <laughs> you ain't doing fine. You had a terrible day. But there's something in us we want to project, this, this perception that everything's okay. I've, I've visited people in the hospital. They're hooked up to an IV. they got a respirator on. They're like two stages next to death. And you say, how you doing? Fine, pastor, doing fine. Like, you ain't doing fine. You need a healing. But there's, a, there's this mask that we wear. And th- the fact is there's the mask you and then there's the real you. So that mask you is covering up who you really are because there's a part of you that no one else on planet earth knows but you. There's a part of you. There's thought You can be as close to your spouse as you possibly can be. You can have as much of fellowship community with other people, and you can be very transparent and open, but there's a part of you that no one else knows but you and God. It's the you. It's the real you, thoughts, emotions, feelings. And then... There's not only the, the mask you, there's the blind spot you. This is uh, the one that my wife helps me the most. <laughs> she helps me with the blind spot because there are things about myself that I don't even see. You know, people tend to be, they see, this in, see the glass half full or half empty. And when things are kind of sideways in my life, I, I tend to see things on the critical side. Every, every once in a while, my wife says, okay, now you said three negative things. You got to say one positive thing before you say one more negative thing. Now, I know no one else here has that problem in life, but the fact is there's a, there's a blind spot you. There's a blind spot. You just don't see it. you got parts of your life that are missing. You're just you're missing it. And, and that's what other people come into our life, come alongside of us, friends, can help point out those blind spots. And then there's the potential you. It's the God the, the, the person that God sees in you. The possibilities that God sees in you. There's the potential you. And only God knows who you can be in him. Only God. And so as we walk through and we navigate our life, we're asking ourselves, God, how do I love well? God, how do I love well? You see, the impact of our life will be in direct proportion to our willingness and ability to love other people well. The impact... The impact of our life will be in direct proportion to our willingness and ability to love other people well. See, loving well requires that we open our lives to other believers. We open our hearts to God. See, we will never be any closer to God than our ability to love well. And so why do we need to learn? Why why does God want us to learn to love well? Why does God want you and I to learn to love well? First of all, I want you to see this. God wants to restore the beauty of the beginning. God wants to restore the beauty of the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, you can turn there in your Bibles. It will also be up on the screen. But in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 26 and 27, So God created man in his own image. You were created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created him male and female. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. You see, in the beginning, man was in right relationship with God. Man was created in God's image to have relationship with him, to have fellowship with him. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. The heart of God is for everyone in this room to live an abundant life. To live a life of abundance of love, abundance of joy, abundance of hope, abundance of grace, abundance of peace. That's the fruit. That's the reality of the God who lives with inside of us. That's what he desires for every person in this room. And so the beauty of the garden, the beauty in the beginning is that man was in right fellowship with God. He blessed them. The heart of God today is to bless you, to do you good. God is for you. Paul the apostle said, if God before you who can be against you? And so to, to restore that relationship that man once had with God. God wants to restore the beauty of it. The second thing that God wants us to have is to have right relationship with other people. So God wants us to love him. God wants us to experience his love. And God wants us to demonstrate that love to other people. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 and verses 18 through 25. God has created Adam and Eve in his image. And then the Bible says this, and the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. God didn't create us to be alone. God didn't create us to do life alone. To to be an independent Christian is an oxymoron. There's no such thing as an independent Christian. As Christ followers, we were not created to be independent of the body of other people. We are created to be in relationship with, with other people in the body. God said it was not good for a man to be alone. It's not good for a man to not have a spouse. In the beginning, God created the male and female to have relationship. Why do you think the enemy fights relationships so hard on our culture today? Marriage is devalued. Marriage is dismissed. Marriage is put aside. As a matter of fact, not only do we have a high rate of divorce in our country, but we have the highest rate of people living together before marriage than we've ever had in our culture. Why is that? Because people are afraid of commitment. They're afraid of the making a commitment to a relationship. And God said in the beginning, I will make, I will make a helper. I will make one who will come alongside of you. You see, in relationships, God is able to work and to conform and to shape. It's in our human relationships with our spouse that we are the best reflection of what God desired for mankind to be in the very beginning. It's why when Paul talks about the relationship of the church to God, he relates it to a marriage. The beauty of a husband and wife coming together, the consummation of that relation through intimacy. And God desires that for every one of us. God desires for us to experience that that oneness, that they would become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were in the garden. It was perfect. They were created in the image of God, God that gave them everything. God gave them blessing. God gave them abundance. God gave them the ability to be fruitful. God gave them the ability to live a blessed life. I love to read the story of Genesis at least once a year. It's always a reminder to me of what God's desire for his people is. He's a good father. He's created us in his image. He made us to experience his blessing and to be a blessing. But then something happened. The relationship that mankind had, man and woman, the relationship that we had with God was broken. In Genesis chapter 3, we see this brokenness. It came through the rebellion. The rebellion of a man and woman who chose to do it their way. They chose to try to, to find fulfillment their way. They chose to find life their way. And they were tempted by the enemy. And the Bible says that at the temptation of the enemy, the woman partaked and she passed, the, she passed that on to her husband and, and he ate as well. And this is where we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 8. And the Bible says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. Here they are. They've they've rebelled against God. They've broken God's command. The Bible says they heard the sound of God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day. God was looking for them. you got to hear this today. God loves today. He is the God of love. And no matter how far a person has, has gone into the depths of sin, no matter how far or how bad a person has messed up, the heart of God is longing and looking for those who were lost. He's a, a good father. And the Bible says that God went looking for them. Did God know where they were at? Of course he did. And look what the Bible says. He said in the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They tried to hide from God. And that's what sin does in a human life. The shame of our failures, the shame of our mistakes, that causes us to want to distance ourselves, to hide from God. It has all kinds of ramifications, the way that we live our life, but we live in an American culture today that has the highest percentage of people that have no faith affiliation in the history of our nation. We're living in a generation where the percentage of people that claim that they don't believe in God or they're atheists or agnostic is the highest that it's ever been. Why is that? Why is that? Because if there is no God, you can make choices to live your life any way that you choose to live your life. And so they're hiding. The fact is, the fact is deep inside of every person who's fighting hard to say that God exists deep inside. They know he does. I mean, it's impossible. You cannot escape the beauty of creation. You cannot escape. Your mental capacities can deny, but the reality of your heart The reality is we were made in God's image. There's a God-shaped hole. There's a vacuum. There's something inside of every life that wants God to fill. And we try to fill it with all kinds of substitutes. We try to fill it through sexual relationships. We try to fill it through drugs. We try to fill it through success in business. We try to fill it maybe through a child or through a relationship. But the fact is there's a place in your heart that was created by God. And they tried to hide from the Lord. God, among the trees of the garden, they had a problem. They had a problem. They were afraid. God pursued them. God pursues us today. God pursues you today. But I want you to notice verse number number 12, what Adam says. Then the man replied, it was the woman. (laughs) It's all her fault, God. It's the woman you gave me, God. Not only do we try to blame other people, for our brokenness, for our lack and for our pain, but there's a tendency for people to want to blame God. the woman that you made. it's your fault, God. You did this to me. You allowed this to happen to me. It's your fault. It's the woman's fault. And we play the blame game. We try to hide from God when we're in rebellion, and then we want to hurt. We hurl. We want to hurl our problems. We want to hurl our responsibilities. We want to hurl them. It's because my dad did this to me. It's because my mom said this about me. It's because this teacher did this to me. It's because this boss did this to me. We want to hurl the problems of our life onto other people. Ultimately, we want to blame God. Ben Franklin said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. There's a human tendency to want to push off our responsibility of our lives, of the brokenness and the failure on ourself. See, God never leaves us hopeless today. God had a plan even back here in the very beginning. See, God created man to be in relationship with him, and they started off right. But the moment they sinned, the moment they chose to be the center of their life and the captain of their own destiny by eating that fruit, they went into hiding. They were in separation from the Lord God himself. And then in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 14, the Bible says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, the one who had enticed Eve to sin, Because you have done this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And the right in the very beginning, God made the potential and the possibility for you and I to come back and be restored and right relationship with God possible. Because the serpent who represents Satan in the Bible, Jesus, the Bible declares that Jesus was the seed of that woman. This promise way back in Genesis, thousands of years before Christ would ever come and walk planet earth and allow himself to be nailed on the cross and rise from the dead on the the third day, and then after 40 days ascended into heaven. Thousands of years before that, the promise of God is that he would bring reconciliation. He would make it possible for men and women and boys and girls to be restored and made whole and right relationship with him. Someone said amen. That was good. What was lost in the beginning? God will restore in the end. What was lost was intimacy, relationship, closeness, fellowship, what was lost is a sense of care, concern. What was lost is a sense of provision and hope. God said, I will restore. God takes that which is lost, and he makes it found. God takes that which is broken, and he calls it healed. God takes the sick, and he makes them well. God takes the blind, and he enables them to see. God takes the ashes of sorrow of your life, and he turns them into garments of joy and praise. Amen. Only God can do that. God wants us to love well. I was listening to a podcast this week by a very famous pastor in America, and he was telling the story. He started his church about 20 years ago, and he said 17 years ago, his wife was pregnant with their third child, and he said they didn't have any money. The church was just taking off, and he said his wife was driving down the car and driving down the road, and she got into a little bump on the highway. So they pulled over and she got out of her car. The other guy got her car and she barely tapped the other vehicle. There were no marks, but the guy was really adamant We're going to call the police. We're going we're gonna to call the police. And so the police came out and, uh, and they looked at it. The, the, the sheriff looked at it and said, Hey, there's nothing wrong here. Why don't you guys just get on the road? There's no reason to write anybody up. Everything's fine. And so the guy was still really persistent. He was really adamant. He said, No, I want her number. And so they exchanged numbers. And, and later that week, that pastor got a call from this man. He said, You know, I was driving, your wife and I we had a little bump on the road and and he goes, I want three hundred bucks. He goes, I have three hundred dollars of the damage of my car. And he's like, He said, You know, I got two kids to feed. He goes, Money. He goes, three hundred bucks is a lot of I'm just trying to put food on the table. I'm like, what are we gonna do? And so he hung up the phone and he said talk, began to talk to his wife. He said, Well, how are we gonna handle this? What are we gonna do? And they have been to pray. And said, God, will you help us to help us to love? Help us to walk in love towards this person. And so they made a decision. They were just going to give the guy the money. Now, they had a choice to make. They could have fussed and fought and argued and rolled around in the parking lot. and They could have had all kinds of conversations about how there was no damage. There wasn't anything wrong. But he didn't defend. He didn't fight. He didn't argue. He and his wife just simply drove over to the guy's house, and he gave him 300 bucks. That was 17 years ago. He said, well, what's interesting, he goes, I would have never remembered that ever even took place. Today, it's such a small, minor thing in my life. But He said two weeks ago, he said a young twenty-some-year-old girl came to my wife, and she said, "She said you changed my life." And his wife said, "Well, how did I do that?" She said, "You know, seventeen years ago, you got into a little fender bender with my dad, and you guys came over to the house, and you were so loving, and you're so kind, and you gave my dad that three hundred dollars." She said, "From that day, my dad has watched you. He's watched you on television. He's watched you online." From that day forward, our family was so touched and so impressed by the way that you handled it. She said, last month, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, and myself, we all came to church, and we gave our life to Jesus. Come on, amen? Now, he just happened to find out what was the result of him loving well. You see, what he'd made a decision was that he didn't have to be right. He didn't have to be right. He just had to love. The greatest command, the greatest command that Jesus called us to was not to be right. We have a tendency. We got to be right in our political realm. We got to be right. All kinds of nastiness back and forth, and everybody's got to be right. And who's right? I got my rights. I'm an American. I live in the United States of America. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of it. I got my rights. The fact is today, when we become a Christ follower, we give up our right. We give up our right to be right, but we embrace the right to love. We embrace the right to choose to love well. See, learning to love well enables us to be a reflection of God's love to our world. Learning to love well enables us to be a reflection of God's love to our world. I want you to look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse number 1. Jesus has written, Jesus, John is writing about Jesus. John is writing a prayer that Jesus prayed to his father, the God of love. Jesus is praying this from the deepest part of his heart. For in just a couple of days, he would allow himself to be falsely accused. He would allow himself to be beaten, spit upon, and a crown of thorns pushed upon his head. And just a couple of days from this prayer, Jesus would allow a cat of nine tails to beat him on the back. Jesus would allow it. Jesus was the Son of God. He was the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and the King of kings. He had the power and the ability to call 10,000 angels. He didn't have to do it. He didn't, listen, he didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. He chose to love to the end. want you to look at verse number one. And the Bible says, and Jesus said this. He looked towards heaven and he prayed. I want you to hear this. Jesus prayed. If Jesus needed to pray, you and I need to pray. Amen. Jesus prayed. He said, Lord. He looked towards heaven. He, Father, the hour has come. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I'm going to become the sacrifice. I'm going to pay the penalty of sin that was entered into mankind's world all the way back in the garden. I'm going to fulfill Genesis 3.15 where the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Father, my time has come. It says here, glorify your son that your son may bring glory. Glorify your son that your son may bring glory glory. The word glory there has the idea, concept of beauty. May my life bring beauty. We were created by God. We were created by God in his image to bring beauty to our world. Father, he prays for himself. May my life bring beauty to this world. You and I were created by God in his great design and plan. The Westminster Catechism says it like this, the chief end of man is to glorify God or to bring beauty to God and enjoy his presence forever. Before you and I can help other people, before you and I can see other people restored in our relationships, we must be right with God. What's your motive today for living? Why are you living today? Is it for a bigger paycheck A bigger house, a nicer car, better kids, husband, spouse. What are you living for today? What's the aim and the goal of your life? None of those things within themselves are wrong. But what becomes in many people's lives is that is the ultimate desire or dream to have a better this, to have a better that. And the fact is is that God has created us to bring beauty to this world, the chief end of man is to bring glory to God, is to bring glory to him and enjoy his presence forever. What is God's best for our life? That we bring beauty to a world that is seeking to find happiness and fulfillment within themselves. Jesus not only then prayed for himself, but I want you to see in verse number 11, he prayed for you. I love this. Jesus prayed for you. If you feel like today no one else cares, if you feel like today no one else knows, if you feel like no one else is praying for you today, I want you to hear this. Jesus prays for you. Jesus said when he told his disciples, I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm going to send my spirit. But when I'm in heaven, the place of authority, the right hand of the Father, I am praying for you. I'm praying for you when Peter... When Peter, who was about to deny Jesus, when Peter was was living life and he was full of himself and his own self-ambition, Jesus said, Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed, I I have prayed that after you fall, you will be restored and you will bring healing to your brother's. See, Jesus is praying. No matter what you walk through, no matter what kind of pain you've experienced in your past, Jesus is praying. Look what he says here. Holy Father, protect. Keep them faithful by the power of your name. By the power of your name. The name above every other name. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be healed. There is no other name under heaven by which people can be delivered, set free, experience the love of God. There is no other name. It is the name Jesus by your holy, powerful name. The name which is above every other name. In the Old Testament, they they would not use the name of God. It was too holy. They never flippantly said, my God. They never flippantly used God's name in a way that was diminishing. It was a holy name. And so they would refer to God according to his attributes. They would say he is Jehovah Raphe." The God who heals all of my diseases. They would say, Jehovah Sh- Shalom, the God who is my peace. They would say, Jehovah Shema, the God who is strong and mighty in battle. They would say, El Roy, the God who sees, the God who knows, the God who cares. The fact is today, there is a name. The name of God has been revealed to you and I. And I believe today Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is praying protection over you. The same God that saved you is the same God that will keep you. Have you ever wondered how you got to where you are today? Have you ever wondered why you're still alive? Come on, there are so many moments in my life I was looking back. At this week I was thinking about how God brought me this way. I got to tell you, I shouldn't be here. but God was praying through his son Jesus. God was praying for me today. God's praying for you. Look what he's praying in verse number 21. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. God is praying today for completion of your life. See, the Father and the Son of the Spirit are in complete unity, There is one God who's revealed himself as the Father and the man that walked on planet earth as Jesus and by his Spirit who came at the day of Pentecost and lived and dwelled inside every person who believed. The fact is today that one God, that one God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit has been brought revelation to us and he lives and dwells inside of us. And Paul the Apostle said, he that has begun a good work in you, he will complete this work. You see, the heart of God, the heart of God is for us to be at one in our relationships with our spouses. The heart of God is for us to be at one in relationships with our friends, our co-workers. Now, we know this isn't always the case, but it's the prayer of Jesus. His prayer, his desire is that we would be one. The goal of Jesus is that our love for one another would be so great that the world would believe. The love that we have for one another would be so great that the world would believe. Look at verse number 23. Jesus said, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. May the church, the people of God, that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. That that you love them as much as you love me. See, the fact is today the church, the church today is divided. There's such a sense of being right, right about our doctrine, right about our politics, right about whatever. We're, there's such a sense of rightness that in the American culture and around the world today there are over 33,000 denominations. People look at the Bible, they see a different strain, a different hair, and all of a sudden they find themselves in contention with other people who believe in the same God. See, God is not a God of division. God is a God of multiplication. The Bible says when the Spirit came, come on, to the early church, they went out and they preached Jesus. They preached Jesus sinless, crucified, rose from the dead, and seated at the right hand of the Father. Let me tell you today what brings pleasure to the heart of God isn't when his people are not squawking and, de- and backbiting and devouring and arguing about particular points of theology of doctrine, but when we gather together and we rally together and we set aside our differences although they might seem big to us in the eyes of God, they are small the fact is when we rally together we begin to preach Jesus and live Jesus and love the Jesus that the Bible presents as a pure and holy God who's come to save mankind from their sins and bring hope and healing to the world. The world takes notice. The world takes notice. Oh, the question isn't, am I right today? Well, this person did this to me. Yeah, they might have done that to you. But it's not about you being right today. See, being right is what brings divorce into families. Being right, having to be right, what separates fathers from sons. Being right in a home, being right in the job, causes division and conflict having to be right. Mm-mm. The question is not am i right? The question is am i loving well? As a young preacher, I I was baptizing God's love in a very significant way. This became a very real truth to me. I was 27 years of of age, Laura and I with another couple we had planted a church in the inner city of Seattle and I was I, I was a reader. I like to debate. Before I became a Christ follower, I read very few books. And when I became a Christ follower, God put an insatiable desire for me to read, and I started reading. I read on economics. I read on politics. I I read anything I could read on. I I loved to read. I loved theology. And I found myself many times in contentious discussions with other believers about certain points of theology. I found myself, you know, being and I was trying to I was pastoring and, and there was all kinds of, you know, all kinds of questions out there about the nature of God and who God is and how God works and whether I'm saved always or once, you know, I can walk away. All these kinds of questions that people love to spend their time on. And and I was one of those guys and and but we had started the church and God really started to bless. And one of the things that we did that was different from the other churches that our team, a team of people, we would go out every Thursday and Friday and we would do door-to-door visitation. And uh, so we, were, we had certain areas. I had a certain area that I would go into, and I would knock on these doors every single Thursday and every Friday. And I remember I walked up to this one lady's house. It was a Friday afternoon, and this lady came to the door, and she was completely frazzled. And I could hear in the background, I could hear this baby screaming, and she came to me, and she said, she said, this baby has not stopped crying for 30 days. She goes, I'm a foster mom, and brought this child to my home right after birth, and for 30 days, this baby has screamed incessantly, has not stopped crying and screaming. The baby had been born addicted to crack and to heroin, and what a terrible lot that had been assigned to this child's life. I remember, she, I remember thinking, I'm not sure what I could do. I mean, I was just listened to the baby, and I said, well, I'll pray for you, and <laughs> walked out, you know, and went on down the street, and. And that Sunday morning, that lady shows up at our church. And I remember I had finished preaching, and I, I gave the altar invitation. We were down to the front. We would pray for people at the inn. I was standing at the front. And I saw this lady walking down the aisle with this baby in her arms. She walked up to me, and, and she handed this baby to me, and she says, Can your God do something? Just like that. Can your God do something? And that very moment, in that very moment, It wasn't a five point this. It wasn't a pre trip, post trip, mid trip. It wasn't whether or not a preacher should drive a Cadillac. It was none of those things. In that very moment, the God of compassion, I needed to show up. I needed the God of love to show up in that woman's life. I remember I held that little baby. I was, I I mean, I'm not a healer. I'm a prayer. I'm a believer, but I'm not the healer, I'm not the savior. I'm not the hope of the world, Jesus is. I took that little baby and I held that baby in my hands and I held that baby up and I said, God, only you. I mean, at that very moment, it wasn't my theological uncertainties. It wasn't wasn't any of those things. It It was, can I love well? Can I touch God in this moment? The Bible says that when Jesus saw people who were affirmed, afflicted, diseased, in debt, broken down, addicted, when Jesus saw them, the Bible says that he saw them as sheep a shepherd. And he was moved with compassion. He was moved with love. See, the world will only know that we are truly Christ followers if we love them. And I held that baby up and I prayed, handed that baby back to that mom. I went back that next Friday to visit that woman in her home. It was just part of my regular routine. I knocked on the door. She walked to the door. She had the biggest smile on her face. She said, you know, after you prayed for that baby with people at the church." she said that baby who hadn't slept for one night who hadn't stopped crying for 30 straight days has slept every single night night and hasn't cried one time since come on so the question today isn't am i right we have our rights we get that you know we're not we're not be trampled on we we get all that but we choose to love we choose to love well we choose to to forgive we choose to believe the best we choose to support. We choose to encourage. We choose. God wants heaven full. And hell plundered. God wants people healed, whole, and restored. See, as we as a congregation, and individually learn to love well, the world will take notice. I was at a little uh, restaurant right around the corner here on Friday, and had ordered my lunch and. And I'd finish eating my lunch, and when I went to get my bill, the lady said, your bill's been paid for. I said, what? She says, yeah, your friend Tim paid for your lunch. I said, Tim? I said, really? I said, where's Tim at? I saw Tim at that very moment walk by. He was the manager of this restaurant that I go to sometimes. He came up to me, and he sat down, and we began to talk, and 27 years old, young man. He's a reserve in the Army, and good kid, we're Facebook friends now, and I see him on Facebook. I know that he, he's not a Christ follower. He's a pretty typical young guy. And we begin to talk, and I begin to tell him about my restaurant experience, and I'd worked 12 years, and we had a lot of similarities. We were just talking about life. And then he asked me this question. He said, uh, how did you go from that to being a ministry? I mean, like, how did that happen? I said, oh, my, what an open, what a wide open door. And I just begin to share with him how Christ changed my life and how God set me free. I begin to share with him the love of God that entered in my world. I begin to talk to him. His eyes are just like this. He goes, "Well, that's really good." I said, "Yeah, that's really good." But it's not just for me; it's for you. And, and I got up and I left, and and I did tip the waitress really well too, because we love to give. We love to give. And I walked out of there, and I realized at that moment that guy's watching me. Every time I've come in there. He's probably watching me on Facebook. He's probably watching. And the fact is, the world is watching. Not just me, folks. The moment you're at work and you make a decision to be a Christ follower, and you don't say and you don't do and you don't act in certain ways, people do notice. When you choose to love and forgive and bless, when others are cursing and angry and stealing and lying, when you choose to live, when you choose to say yes to Jesus, people notice and they're watching They're watching your life. In September, in just a couple, little over a month, there's a man that taught me how to love well. I learned more from this person in ministry than any other person I've learned from just about. I've I've learned more more than I've read in any book, any theology course. I learned from this guy right here. His name is Bill Wilson. In 1992, we had started this church, and, and it was just so beyond me. It was just so, I mean, I, we were doing everything we knew to do. We were trying. We were working hard, and, and I met Bill. And Bill began to tell me about his ministry. We'd had a, a ministry that was similar in some ways. Uh, we were trying to reach out to the children in our community, and, and I told Bill one of my experiences when it happened, and, and he just began to laugh. And then he began to tell me his story. When he was 14 years of age in St. Petersburg, Florida, his mom took him to the grocery store, and she told him to sit down on the curb, And she walked away, and he never saw her again. 14 years old. He sat there for two days, never moved, just waiting for his mom. She never came back. He's still waiting for his mom. She's still waiting for his mom. She never came back. On Sunday, there was a a man and his wife. They were driving down the road. They had seen him sitting there for a couple days, and they pulled up to him and and they said, "Uh, What are you doing? Why are you sitting here? He said, Well, I'm waiting for my mom. She told me to wait. And they said, How long have you been here? She said, Well, I've been here for two days. They said, why don't you come with us? He got in the car, and they took him down to what was then First Assembly of God in St. Petersburg. It's now Suncoast Cathedral, and, and he heard about the love of Jesus. He heard about the love of God. It rocked his world. It changed his world. Over the next several years, he went to kids' camps and youth camps, and he began to serve and begin to minister. When he was 16 years of age, he began to minister to children in St. Petersburg, and he had a little VW bus. He, and he would just pick up all the kids in the neighborhood bring them to church. fill that bus up. He filled up the, his, his little VW bus so many times that uh, he said, Pastor, you got to buy me a bus. And so the church bought him a bus and he filled that bus up. And then he filled another bus up. And then just a very short period of time, he had the largest children's bus ministry in the whole state of Florida. Very short period of time. He was just a teenager. He was ministering to hundreds and hundreds of, of kids every single week. And so by the time I met him, he's now in Brooklyn, New York, and at that time in the 90s, they had over 20,000 kids a week that they preached the gospel to, 20,000 children a week that they ministered to. And I was just flabbergasted. I began to to just ask him, with such humility in his heart and a tear in his eyes, he said these words to me, I'm just a bus driver. I'm just a bus driver. See, there's one kid that's sitting on the side of the street that needs the love of God. I'm compelled, I have to. You see, the world says it's about me, it's about what I can get, it's about my feelings, about my emotions, it's about my dreams, my aspirations, my goals. God says no, my love is about you giving, you giving my love away to people who desperately need you. We're gonna hear Bill's story. He's gonna challenge you in a couple weeks, like we haven't been challenged in a long time. Don't miss this date. Are you loving well? Are you loving well today? I know, that, I know that I can get better. I know that I'm not doing this perfectly. I know that I got blind spots still in my life. And the question that the Holy Spirit is asking us in this room today, are we loving well? Are we living to give our life away? I want you to close your eyes. That rain that you hear right now, I'm gonna pray that rain in the natural begins to take place in the spiritual in your heart. I'm gonna begin to pray that the love of God begin to reign in your heart. There, are, There's are some in this room you've been struggling. There have been relationships that are fractured and broken and you've had a hard time loving. There's some people maybe that have done some things to you and you're like, I can't love them. you do if you only knew. And God says you give up your right. You give up your right to be right. Now you've embraced the love of God. And if you want his life, and you want his love, and you want his blessing, and you want his abundance, you're going to allow God to help you love well. You're here today, and you need a fresh touch of that love. Maybe you've grown cold and cynical. The events and the things of our world have caused you to to just a a little bit critical and cynical of the things of this world. It's been hard for you to love certain people. You found it difficult. You found yourself saying things that you know are not loving. You say, Pastor, I can do better. I want a fresh touch of God's love in my life. If that's you right now, can you just lift your hand, come on, in this auditorium right now, all across this room, God's helping us to love well. Amen. You're here today and you don't know Jesus. You've never experienced that love of God. You, you haven't surrendered. You haven't given your heart to Jesus. The first step of being able to give God's love is you got to know God's love, and you're in the room today. You don't, and you, today you don't know that love of God. I would be amiss if I didn't give you that opportunity. You here today say, Pastor, I don't know that love of God. I've never experienced the love of Jesus in my life. If that's you here today, on the count of three, you can experience that love. If I'm going to give you that opportunity. On the count of three. I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three.